0: Following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Moresby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at nine a.m. We are located between Motukere Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available seven double nine one thousand. This is scripture reading for this morning is Luke chapter 2, 1 down to 7. Oh, I think I need some glasses here. (laughs) Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made. When Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's the word of God this morning. Thank you.
1: I wonder if you've lost your wonder. I had to say it one more time, right? wonder if you've lost your wonder. I wonder if when we start to read Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1 that you start to have some kind of a feeling where you think, oh my goodness, here we go again. There was a decree in the Caesar Augustus. And maybe your eyes start to glaze over. Maybe you think, oh, here we go, angels and shepherds. Maybe you start to think about Snoopy and Linus and Charlie Brown and a ugly Christmas tree. I hope as a result of our time around the Word of God today that the Holy Spirit will do His Olympian work in your heart, and He'll make much of this babe, Christ, as we see the birth of, His, of our Savior today. We left off last week with the birth of John. He's not the important one. He's just the one who's supposed to prepare the road. You might think in terms of a big bush. And a bulldozer goes in and prepares the way so that the King of kings and Lord of lords can walk through behind him. He will raise up the low places and knock down the high places and the people who are in great need will receive their Savior. And that's the work that John did. You don't stop, however, with the end of Luke chapter 1. You have to come into Luke chapter 2. You saw at the end of Luke chapter 1... John was born, and he grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, and he was in the deserts waiting until Christ would begin his ministry. There was, by the way, an old... Uh, there was a man in the book of Acts who only had Luke 1 story. He didn't get Luke 2 story. He was a preacher by the name of Apollos. Apollos was in Acts chapter 18. He went to the town of Ephesus, and he began to preach. In, in Ephesus, he preached about the baptism of John. He was a very eloquent preacher. I think that perhaps as he preached, people thought, wow, this is amazing. And yet, they didn't get the rest of the story. There was a couple that heard him preach in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla. They sat him down and said, Apollos, have you not heard of the rest of the story? He says, no, I just heard about the baptism of John, and I've been preaching that. You need Luke chapter 2. You need the rest of the gospel. Poor guy, Apollos has been going around preaching and missing the big point of the picture. The point of the picture is not the forerunner. The point of the picture is the one who comes after the forerunner. And so we have today's story of Jesus being born. John's whole message was, look at your sin. You have sinned. And that is, by the way, the bad news that brings us to the good news. In order for the good news to be so important, you have to understand you have sin. John spent his entire ministry, you need to repent of your sin, repent of your sin. He says, look at your sin. And it's so easy for us as human beings to say, my sin's not so bad, because we can always point at somebody else who has worse sin than we do. And John's message is, look at your own sin." Friend, this morning it's important look at your sin. Realize that you need a Savior. You are not able to come before a righteous God in your own sinful condition. D.A. Carson wrote like this. He said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, He would have sent an economist. If He had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, He would have sent us a comedian or an artist. Or if God had had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, He would have sent us a politician. Or if He perceived our greatest need was health, He would have sent a doctor. But He perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from Him, our profound rebellion, our death, and He sent us a Savior. the point of John's baptism was so that you would acknowledge your need of a Savior. You cannot just simply say, yes, I'm a sinner. You must say, yes, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I need Him. If I can just make this practical for today in our society, I think almost every one of us has rubbed shoulders with someone who has, or perhaps you've gone through yourself. Maybe just say a picture of someone who has TB. And they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have TB. And they do the slide, and they confirm it. You have TB. Here is the medicine you need to take. And it's not enough for you to walk out and say, I'm a TB patient. It's not enough for you to say, yes, I'm getting sick because I have TB. You have to take the medicine. It does no good if you sit over on the side and say, I just don't trust the pharmaceutical companies. They're trying to make money. That does you no good. It might be a truth, but the fact of the matter is, you have to accept what's going to heal you. And with the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth, it's not enough to say, oh, yes, what a wonderful gift that was given to mankind. You have to trust him for the remission of your sins. You need to be saved. You need to put your trust in Jesus. Otherwise, you're stuck in Luke chapter 1. So we come into Luke chapter 2 for today, and I'd like to see the birth of our Savior, and I hope as we walk through it, I hope that you have renewed wonder. Three things that I want to point out from verses 1 to 20. The first one we'll spend the majority of our time is in verses 1 to 8. And I like to say it like this. If I were to just summarize what I see in verses 1 to 8, it would be like this. God is at work even in the mundane. God is at work even in the mundane. So let's read down through. I'll read verses 1 to 3 to get us started. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and they all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Here we have Caesar, thought he was in charge. And if ever there was something that was mundane, it would be the government. The government is very mundane. It's there from generation to generation. No matter what place you're at, the government is there. It's been six months since John's birth. Everyone in, by the way, everyone in Judea, we saw this last week, everyone in all of the area of Judea, the hill country of Judea, knew all about that birth. I doubt seriously, however, that Caesar Augustus knows about that birth because Rome is a long ways away from the hill country of Judea. And if word had somehow come all the way back to Caesar Augustus in Rome that an old woman had a baby in the hill country of Judea, he probably would have treated it like every other story that he heard as king. He probably would have dismissed it. It means nothing to him. He's the king. He's in charge. By the way, Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of Rome. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar and it was under his rule that they began what was known as the Pax Romana, 25 years of peace. Prior to Caesar Augustus, there had been civil wars. And he set th- everything in place. He thinks that he is the one who's in charge. But remember that God is at work in the mundane. We see in verse number 2, this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Luke wrote this story, and as we said before, and you could see in Luke chapter 1 in verse number 3, that Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus, and he's writing a story, the history of what happened, and he's doing it according to first-hand eyewitnesses. When he wrote this, it would have been obvious to Theophilus about this part in verse number 2. You see a parenthesis around it, so he's telling the story, and he goes, oh, by the way, this happened when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria, and perhaps Theophilus reading it would have gone, oh, yeah, I remember that. Interesting point here, when we come to uh, modern historians, modern historians look back through history, and this doesn't seem to line up. We know in history, we know about a tax scene that would have happened under Caesar Augustus, But that doesn't exactly line up with Serenius being governor of Syria. Can I make a statement here? Whenever what you think does not line up with what Scripture says, what you think is wrong, and Scripture is always right. And so the historians would look at this and say, well, maybe there's a mistake here. And I would say, no, maybe there's a mistake in your history. This has happened many many times. In fact, for hundreds of years... Historians thought that Pontius Pilate was a made-up name. They thought the Bible talks about Pontius Pilate, but he's a nobody. We don't have any evidence of it. And in 1961, archaeologists uncovered a stone that talked about, on the stone, it talked about this is the stadium that was built during the time of Pontius Pilate. Oops! And so for hundreds of years, people have been saying, oh, no such thing as Pontius Pilate. The Bible made him up, and oops, we found it. There it was, and then just a few years ago, they found a ring with his name inscripted in it, 2018. So now we have multiple evidences, coins even, with Pontius Pilate's name on it. I expect that someday here in future, in near future, someone will uncover some type of archaeological evidence that shows, oh, what do you know, there was a taxing that was done when Serenius was governor. For Theophilus, now that's just a side note. It's just mundane. Here's just a little timing, if you want a a stamp on time when this happened. Then we see further in verse number three all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. If ever there's something that's mundane, it's taxes. (laughs) Everybody has to face them. You have a job, taxes get taken out from your salary. You go and purchase something at the store, you pay taxes. Isn't it funny how you can earn money and you pay taxes and you spend money and you pay taxes? You watch that kina revolve around and around and every time it changes hands, the government says, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's normal. And here taxes are mundane. But remember that Mary has, just three months before, we saw back in verse number fifty six that she had been for three months with Elizabeth and then she had returned to her own house. That was in Nazareth. Nazareth is in Galilee far north of Jerusalem and this baby is supposed to be born in Bethlehem just to the south of Jerusalem. Something's not right here and now they've got to go and get taxed and they need to make a very difficult journey. See it in verses four and five. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. That journey is 90 miles. 145 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 145 kilometers. Did you notice the words that were there in verse 5? She was great with child. When Becky was about to deliver both Ariel and then again when at Hannah, I remember we would go and visit the doctor, and the doctor would make this statement. He would say, you need to go and be walking. Walking will help with the delivery of the baby. 145 kilometers of walking is ridiculous. If the average person can walk 30 to 35 miles in a day, you're looking at easy three days, maybe four days, but she's not an average person. She's a great with child woman, and they're not walking on a regular pathway. They're going through the mountains. This is a terrible long walk. Perhaps it takes them a week to make this journey And you might be thinking, well, we saw in the pictures, and be careful, by the way, what the pictures show you of Christmas, because a lot of it's made up. And we saw in the pictures that she was riding a donkey. I submit to you, you don't want to ride a donkey for a week. A donkey's not very tall. You're going to drag your feet on the ground. Here she is for days. If it's up to her, she's not making this journey. And I seriously doubt that she got up was reading in the book of Micah and said, oh, oops, we're in the wrong town. We need to hurry up and get to Bethlehem. I don't think that's how it happened. But instead, God was at work in the mundane. And please, for just a moment, don't think, oh, it was a miracle of birth. Because birth is a very normal thing. Having babies is normal. It happens every day. In fact, right now, currently, statistics tell us 385,000 babies are born every day. So maybe as a mom holds that baby says, Oh, this was a miracle. Hey, it was normal. Babies are born every day. And yet there was a prophecy that was given, and I've quoted this prophecy many times this, in this series. I want you to hear the complete prophecy. This is Micah chapter five and verse number two. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. So this isn't just anybody's going to be born in Bethlehem. The ruler of Israel will be born. And not just any ruler, what kind of ruler, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So 700 years before the birth of Christ, this prophecy was told that the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth would be from everlasting, he would be born in Bethlehem, just that little town outside of Judah. This is a huge deal And God's at work in the mundane. Verse 6 says, It's so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Yes, births happen every day, but this birth is a special one. And might I remind you that God's at work, even in the mundane. It says that she, was, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes is just cloths, strips of cloth. It's not something special. Perhaps you might be thinking, well, swaddling clothes... Today, when a baby is born, you know what we do? We wrap the baby in a blanket, right? You take a blanket, wrap the baby around, and you do your best to try to get the baby to be wrapped as tight as possible. And in that day, they would do it with swaddling cloths. And you know why you do that, right? Have you ever held a baby? Like, you hold the baby, brand-newborn baby. Can you just imagine? Like, when a baby is first born those of you that have been around when that happened, when the baby is first born, what is it that everybody looks for the sign that the baby is healthy? Right? You're looking for the cry, right? That's normal. First thing it tells you, yes, this baby can speak. But why does the baby cry? Because that baby has been warm for the last nine months. That baby has been warm. And now it doesn't matter where that baby is born on the planet. It just got cold all of a sudden. This baby is freezing cold. Just has been brought out into atmosphere and you know what for all of the last nine months that baby has been we call it the fetal position for a reason that baby has been all curled up and mom's womb has been holding that baby and now that baby is free and free is a scary thing for that baby oh look at him you grab that newborn baby oh you look at that no that little baby is freaking out Why are you holding me out in the middle of the air? I need to be held up close. And so you know how to make the baby feel comfortable. Swaddle it. Wrap that baby up. And that's what they did. Now think of this. Swaddling close. Think of this. Mary and Joseph have just walked for days. I seriously doubt. Now this is what we did. I don't know what you did with your kids, but Beck and I, When it was coming time for Ariel to be born... I'm so glad Ariel's here today. I get to speak of her and hear her be here. When Ariel was about to be born, weeks in advance, we were ready. Hannah was late by about 20 days. I don't remember. Becky would know on Ariel. But weeks ahead of her birth, we had a bag. We had a bag. It was the go bag. And at any moment, we're going to go to the hospital... We're going to have this baby. And it was a bag, and it sat next to the door. It probably collected dust, if I remember correctly. That thing had a spare change of clothes and had nappies and everything. It's the go bag, and it's ready, and it's next to the door. You know, I have a serious feeling that Joseph and Mary had no go bag. And I'll tell you why. Because they just went 145 kilometers, and they were lucky if they did it with a donkey. I doubt there's a go bag. So they've been walking for days, and those of us that have made a journey that was hours long, much less days long, know that when you get to the destination, you haven't been carrying anything that you did not absolutely need to carry. Remember going for hikes in the mountains of the Gulf Province? I cut my toothbrush in half. I'm trying to shed weight. I had no second pair of shoes. I did bring a second pair of socks. And if I was on a three-day or four-day hike, my spare pair of socks hung on the outside of my backpack so they would dry, so I could have dry socks for tomorrow. But one thing they were not was clean. (laughs) They were very dirty. (laughs) And can you imagine, after days of them walking to get to Bethlehem, I doubt they've got any clean clothes with them. It's been a sweaty journey. They're in the Middle East. The sun has been cooking them every day as they walk. And now they get to Bethlehem, and it's time for this baby to be born and remember the shame that's involved with her pregnancy. By the way, that shame follows her for the rest of her life. There were people that called her bad names because of the birth of Christ. That was publicly known. Joseph thought to put her away privately, but God told him, Take care of her. And here they show up. I doubt they went and saw an auntie and said, Hey, auntie, she's about to have a baby. Any chance you can come? and?" That's not what we see. We see them giving birth at a manger. I'll speak of the manger in just a moment. But she's going to wrap the babe in swaddling clothes. And I can't help but wonder, where would those swaddling clothes come from? I wonder if she just maybe took a bit from her own robe. Maybe she cut some strips of cloth from her own robe, or maybe her scarf. Maybe she cut some strips from those. Maybe Joseph helped. It definitely would fit with the theme that our Lord was born into extreme poverty, and it would be a foretelling of the suffering that he would go through says that they laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. And you and I, when we hear the word inn, I-N-N, we think of the Holiday Inn or the Hilton. I seriously doubt there was any of that in Bethlehem, and I'll tell you why, because Bethlehem was just a small town. You don't put major inns in a small town. Perhaps there's some guest house that's There. The Bible doesn't say anything about an innkeeper. Or those. That's all been extra added. We've added that throughout history. They show up. It says there's no room at the end. I don't know. Maybe that is somebody's house where they rent out rooms for passerbys. Maybe there's a guest house in, in the town of Bethlehem. We don't know. Sometimes we have an image of the manger scene. Mary, Joseph standing stoically off to the side. The shepherds and the wise men. Oh, I could kick the wise men, but that's a different story. (laughs) They weren't there for another two years. But in that picture, I don't think there's a manger scene there at all. It's Joseph and Mary show up. Is there space here? And can you imagine if Joseph goes to the next level and tries to pull the pity card? Excuse me, Mr. Innkeeper, she's about to have a baby. If you're the innkeeper, the last thing you want is somebody coming in and having a baby in your room. I'm sorry, go to the hospital. I doubt there's a hospital that day. But I can just imagine. Maybe, he says, around back? Perhaps they're on their own to find a place. And it says that she gave birth and they laid him in a manger. Where would a manger have been? Near an inn? Perhaps as those rooms in the guest house had already been rented out to the politicians and the public servants who had come to collect the taxes, perhaps their beasts of burden were tied around on the side. I don't know, I'm just guessing. Donkeys, horses, oxen, around on the side. And I can only imagine as Joseph and Mary go off to the side and she has a baby over there, helpless by themselves, She's trying to wrap the baby up. And I can just imagine, maybe Joseph looks over and there's a manger there. This is the place that all of these beasts of burden are going to eat from. I don't know if it was light enough for him to grab and drag it over to where she was, or maybe he just went over and shooed the animals away and he said, Honey, come over here, we'll just put the baby in this manger. But what a scene. With all of its smells, its noises, its uncertainty... A pediatrician would definitely say, don't do that. And yet, here he was, wrapped in swaddling clothes. To the rest of the world, mundane. That's normal. What's so great about this baby that's so different about all the other babies? This family just happened to be here at the wrong time. But friend, I want to tell you, God's at work, even in the mundane. Before I go much further, I want to remind you your day today might seem mundane, but God's still at work in the mundane. Come down with me to verse number eight. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And one more shepherds in Bethlehem, that's mundane. There's nothing special about shepherds in Bethlehem. A historian by the name of Josephus wrote sometime later, he wrote that 250,000 lambs every year would be sacrificed at the Passover, several months away from this point. But 250,000 lambs of the first year that are all male, you can just imagine, it's going to take a whole big flock in order to be able to produce one-year-old 250,000 lambs. There's no way physically possible for all of them to be raised right there in Bethlehem, but a lot of them were. And so they had those Passover lambs. That's very possible that that's the flock that these shepherds are looking after. It would have been a major income source for the town of Bethlehem. And these shepherds are out there looking after the flock. It's very normal for Jewish people to look after sheep. It had been normal all throughout their Old Testament history. You might remember David, the shepherd, Moses, a shepherd, Abraham, and Lot. They got in a fight over how many sheep they had. It's very normal, it's very mundane. But then there's a shift in this story when we come into verse number nine. We've been seeing that God is at work, even in the mundane, while it seems like nothing really is changing. Everything is the same. It's the same day in and day out. But we've seen now that God has been at work behind the scenes while we weren't looking. And then that brings us to verse number nine. And my second point is this, a heavenly message should change your perspective. A heavenly message should change your perspective. Let's see it in verse number nine. And lo... The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is the third time in two chapters that we've had the angels break into the scene. And all three times we get the same response. Look back at chapter 1 in verse 15 with me, and you'll get to see... Uh, verse 12, chapter 1 and verse 12, this was when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias. And he said, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell on him. That's very normal. An angel appears to you, it's time to be afraid. And in verse number 29, Mary's response. This was the angel appearing to Mary. Verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying... Cast in her mind what manner of salutation, who does this? That's what's going on in her mind, and the angel had to say to her in verse 30, fear not. And now here we have another one. The shepherds get it in verses 9 and 10. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the angel came unto the the shepherds, and then they get a double whammy here. They're going to get the glory of the Lord shown around about them. So not only does the angel appear to them, the glory of the Lord also appears to them. Uh, I don't know what was going on in the moments leading up to this. They were looking after the flock. It says they were keeping the flock keeping the flock by night. They're having their watch. They're looking after it. The watch, by the way, in the, that time period at night, they would have the first watch of the night, the second watch of the night, the third watch of the night. That's are three-hour blocks in the night. Fourth watch of the night would be 3 a.m. until 6 a.m., so before the sun comes up. We don't know what watch, it's in the night, but they're out there keeping watch over their flock and it's at night. I don't know what's going on leading up to it. The scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe you can just imagine with me as the shepherds are watching the sheep. I don't know how many there are. Maybe nine of them are taking a nap right now. I mean, they watch after these sheep at day and at night. So maybe nine of them are watching, or maybe nine of them are sleeping while one is watching. Maybe he's out there trying to keep himself warm, just walking around, got to keep the wolves away, keep the bears away, keep the lions away. He's just watching those. I don't know, maybe there's four or five of them sitting around a fire, telling stories, playing cards. I don't know what they're doing. But boom, that's the words that are used. It's my modern translation of it. Boom, and lo. That's so what he said in verse 9. And lo. The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. Zacharias was afraid. Mary was afraid. They were sore afraid. Have you ever been sleeping and somebody put the light on? You ever have that happen? You're sleeping and somebody puts the light on, it's a surprise. These guys are there, and they're, it's the night. Never in the middle of the night has the lights come on. That's what just happened to them. The angel of the Lord appeared, and with the appearance came the glory of the Lord. Boom! Light. These guys are terrified. I just wonder what's going on. Maybe one of them grabbed a knife, another one grabbed his slingshot. Maybe one had a heart murmur. Maybe one to wet himself. I don't know. These guys just, they were sore afraid. And then, verse number 10, the angel speaks to them. The angel says to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Don't be afraid, because the Savior has been born. The very thing that you need and all men need is born unto you this day right there in the city of David, in Bethlehem, where you work, shepherds, where you live. And you shepherds, by the way, lowest of the low in all of society, the ones who cannot testify in court, they are cared the least about and trusted the least, given the job of the lowly to go and be with the sheep out in the field. You're going to be out there and yet... The angel appears to announce to the keepers of the Lamb that the Lamb of God has now been born in their city. And he tells them, you can go and you'll find him. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. He'll be lying in a manger. Must have made it pretty easy to find him. And by the way, verse 13, there's some more angels that jump in on this. So there's the picture. Before we read verse 13, here's the picture These shepherds have been scared out of their boots or their sandals. And the one angel, with the glory of the Lord, has proclaimed to them the greatest news ever. The Messiah has been born. And then, out of the darkness, comes the rest of the angels. Here it is, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of a heavenly host, praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I can only imagine, I think, perhaps, that this heavenly host has been standing in the wings, waiting for this moment. It said that the angel came, and then the multitude, the heavenly host, came forth. I believe 2 Peter says that the angels desire to look upon our salvation. It's as if they wonder about it. They don't fully grasp it, for they have no way for redemption. You remember when the angels fell and became demons? I don't have time to unpack that, but if you remember that, there's no way back for them. They're expelled. But when man fell in the Garden of Eden, God in that curse brought a promise that He would send the Redeemer. And so for 4,000 years, those angels have been standing on the side, gazing in and looking upon what this salvation might look like. They know who Jesus is they've known because Gabriel went and proclaimed that he was about to be born. They've known about this, and they've been standing off on the side, and they just watched as one of them, I don't know, maybe Gabriel, one of them just proclaimed to the shepherds on the hillside that that child has been born in Bethlehem. You can go see him if you want to, and these multitude of heavenly hosts just popped out and they can't help it anymore. They're like, we have to stay behind the scenes all the time, but we can't help it today. Hallelujah. And they broke out into a chorus. And you see the words that are used there. They were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. You know why? Angels get expelled forever when they rebel, but he brings for man, he brings redemption and brings us back to Himself, peace on earth, goodwill to men, this heavenly host. That word host is a military term. I find that interesting, because anytime you have a military host approaching another group, they bring fear upon that group. But these guys have already had their first angel go ahead and say, it's okay, guys, you don't have to be afraid. And this host came forth so that they could proclaim peace that comes from the Heavenly Father. And it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 5.1. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here they proclaim peace. Man cannot save himself. It takes God saving us. And it happens through the Lord Jesus. You cannot stand before God in your own righteousness. Your own righteousness is but filthy rags. Your own righteousness will only condemn you before a holy God. We need Him. And that's what God did. God was in Christ. Romans uh, 1 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So then, number three, when a life-changing message reaches you, You must choose how you will react. And that's what I see in verses 15 down to verse 20. Verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste. They rushed in. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they'd seen it, They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. I can just imagine these shepherds, the ones that the society didn't care for so much in the middle of the night as they rush into Bethlehem. We're going to check this out. I hope for the sake of the residents of Bethlehem that they found them quickly. Otherwise... If I was a shepherd and I just got this announcement from the angels, I'm going door to door in the middle of the night. Excuse me, have you got a manger out back? Excuse me, have you got a manger out back? Excuse me, have you got a manger out back? And I can just imagine as one after another, poor dad gets up out of bed. What are you talking about? Go away. And they went and they found the babe. You see, when a heavenly message comes across your way, it's life changing. You must choose how you react. They had the option and the opportunity to just stay in the field. But no, they're going to go, and they're going to go and worship. They told other people about it, but then and you see in verse 18 that not everybody really understood why this was so important. See it in verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. A baby being born in Bethlehem is no big deal if you live in Bethlehem. But a baby being announced by angels changes the story. So for the shepherds, this is a big deal. But for the people who are there, it's not all that big a deal. But I want to remind you, and we won't have the time to unpack this story two years from now, in that town, this is a big deal. I don't know what they would have done differently if they'd have known. But that story will change their life. And for you and I, this is a life-changing story. It's a life-changing message that God has come in the flesh. The book of Hebrews said that he was made lower than an angel. The book of Philippians says that he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's a life-changing message and you have to choose how you will respond to it. He came for you and I, and he didn't just come to be a baby. Christmas is not just about the manger. It's about the fullness of time God sending forth his son to redeem us who were under the law. So that as the law points at us and says you're a sinner, Christ comes along and says, I'll take your sin. And He goes to the cross and died for you and I and rose again so that He could give us life. Mary responded also. You see it in verse 19. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She thought about these. She wondered about these things. And the best way that I can describe verse 19 is she held them for the day that Luke would come along and she would tell Luke, this is what happened. She kept them in her heart. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And my, that's my prayer for you, by the way. You'll see these things that are done by the Lord, and you'll wonder at them, and you'll tell others about them. So this week, as I spent time studying the passage and thinking through what it was that I had read, my mind just kept coming back to those swaddling clothes. I thought with wonder. Mary and Joseph, I wonder what it was like for them as they held the babe Christ, the one who had created them, the one who sustained them, the one who, his own word is what holds us together. As they held him and he was swaddled in what might have been smelly rags. As I searched through the scriptures about the swaddling clothes and as I searched through the scriptures about wonder, I came across a place where those two crossed paths again and it was in the book of Luke in chapter 24 you don't have to turn there I'll tell you the story it's the end of Luke's gospel and you might remember the story Christ had gone to the cross and he carried the sins of the world upon himself God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him he clothed us in something entirely different from what we were born with he gave us his righteousness all we had to do was trust him And he died on the cross. And a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea went and used up all of his political capital and begged for the body of Christ. Do you realize what that might have cost Joseph? He knew Pilate. So he went to see Pilate and said, Can I have the body of a criminal in Pilate's mind? Can I have that body? That one's special to me. And Joseph of Nicodemus together took Jesus down off the cross, and they washed his body. And I don't know if you remember what they did with it after that, Luke 24. Actually, John, I think it's chapter 19, says that they wrapped his body with spices a 100 pounds and with a linen cloths. Interesting. Isn't it interesting that as he came into the world, he was wrapped with linen cloths, and then when he came down off the cross, he was wrapped with linen cloths. I submit to you that a rich man would not have wrapped him in smelly rags. I think he wrapped him in the finest that he could find. And yet, if anything were to soil those linen cloths, It would have been the blood of Christ, the most precious thing there ever was. And as I read in Luke chapter 24, Christ has risen from the dead. By the time we come to Luke 24, in verse 12, and I want you to hear the words that are used there. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves, And departed, wondering in himself that which was come to pass. I see Mary wrapping the body of baby Jesus. Hold those little hands close to him. By the way, they did the same thing with the sheep. When the sheep were born, the Passover lambs, when they were born, wrap them. It said that they would wrap them to keep them from going and blemishing themselves. Oh, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God wrapped Him in swaddling clothes, lay Him in a manger. And then at the end of His life, His earthly life, wrapped Him in linen and laid Him in a manger, tomb. And then, on His own, He rose and he left those linen cloths there for Peter to come along. It was a, he didn't have to leave them there. He could have taken them with him. He could have just gotten rid of them. But he left them there. And you know what that was? It was a sign because he knew Peter's coming along. Hey, Peter, I'm not here anymore. I'm risen. Brothers and sisters, he rose from the grave and he left behind a symbol. No, not Filthy rags like our righteousness, but a symbol that we have a completely different type of clothing to be clothed upon. Oh, His righteousness has been taken to us instead of our filthy rags. And He left them there for us so that we can wonder. Merry Christmas. Father, I thank You for Your goodness upon us. Thank You for being an almighty God who took our sins upon the cross and instead of our sins gave us eternal life. Lord, I pray that we would not look upon the birth of the Savior as a ho-hum nothing, but instead, Lord, I pray that we would see with wonder God made flesh, dwelling among us, dying a perfect, sinless one taking upon himself the sin of all of us. And so Lord, I pray that we would put our trust in the Lord Jesus alone, for therein will we find our righteousness. It's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. We love you. Have a wonderful
0: day with your family. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Potomac. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on seven double nine one thousand. Again it's seven double nine one thousand.